Sometimes the leaders get this principle of being right a lot wrong, which is that they think that being right a lot means that the idea has to come from you. And you, and you dig in on your idea and you have to win the argument. The job for all of us as leaders is to make the right decisions. Back about 13 years ago, Andy Jassy had a big, big idea. What if you could rent computing power and storage over the internet instead of having to buy a whole bunch of computing equipment? Jassy worked for Amazon.com at the time as the technical assistant to one Jeff Bezos, the founder and CEO of Amazon. He told Jeff about the idea. They decided to do it. And now, more than a decade later, Andy Jassy has not only built a business that brings in $16 billion a year, he and his team also essentially invented the business of cloud computing and upended the tech world in the process. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and you're listening to the Fort Knox podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I do this weekly, bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Apple's podcast app is the most popular way to do that, but there are all kinds of great ways. Mainly what I want you to do, subscribe. So this gets to you automatically every week. One less thing to worry about. I flew out to Las Vegas this week to have a chat with Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon Web Services. The company was having its annual reInvent conference where software programmers from around the world gather to hear the latest cloud tools Amazon is looking to put in their hands. I wanted to hear from him about how he got started at Amazon, how he worked with his boss, Jeff Bezos, to launch a business that has turned out to be Amazon's biggest profit maker, what his strategy is now, and just how massive he thinks this can all get. Here's Andy Jassy. It has been 20 years since Amazon's IPO and since you joined Amazon. Uh, what did you think you were getting into in 1997? <laughs> well, I, I took my last final exam at graduate school the first Friday of May in 1997. And I started at Amazon the following Monday. They were very insistent that I start, but they wouldn't tell me what I was doing. So I didn't really know. I, they wouldn't tell me what group I was going to be in, what my title was going to be, what I was going to work on. I just thought I was joining something entrepreneurial that was trying to build a new business model on the internet. And I don't think any of us who worked at Amazon in the early days had any idea it would grow to be as big as it has. Um, but I, you know, I, I thought it would be a really interesting entrepreneurial experience, and I, I love the people who are working there, and I love the mission, and I love the fact that the company was so absolutely focused on customers. Did you love Seattle? Because you're a New York guy. I'm a New York guy. In, in a million years, I would have never expected that I would end up in Seattle. I was sure I was going back to New York. Uh, but my sister had moved to Seattle as a young a married person, and so I had been a few times, and I did like it. I thought it was really a beautiful place, and I liked the size of it. And over time, I've grown to really love living in Seattle. It's a very different play than New York. Five years in, you scored this plum assignment as one of Jeff Bezos' technical assistants. Basically, you followed him around everywhere, I guess. Got to sit on meetings, see how he ran the company. First of all, how did you score that game? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, um, in retrospect, it was a complete score. I mean, it was unlike any opportunity I've had before or since, and there is no question it was a huge part of my uh, professional development. But at the time when it was offered to me, I said no, and uh, it was a very undefined role. And when I talked to Jeff about it, he, I said, well, what's the goal of the role? And he said, well, the goal is for me to get to know you better and for you to get to know me better and to build some trust. And I thought, well, 
that's interesting, but it doesn't sound like a mission. <laughs> and he said, well, what would you like the role to be? And he was incredibly gracious about letting me craft and shape the role with him in a way that worked for him and added value and also was a great development opportunity for me. And we made it ultimately like a chief of staff role. So how does that make sense from Amazon, a company where you've got to present your idea in a really concise format, six pages, you know, you write the press release about the product before you release it so everybody's focused. He asks you to do this role that's like almost totally undefined? Well, there's a lot, uh, I mean, almost every innovation that we ever do at Amazon starts off undefined. You know, it starts off as a kernel of an idea. And the kernel of the idea here, I think, was to try and take um, people that you believe have been, who've been at the company for a while, so they know the company and they know some of the players they're gonna have to interact with, and then see if you can help develop that person and let them watch and let them observe and let them ask questions. And hopefully they, they help in keeping things organized and following up and providing good ideas, but you're really grooming a future leader at the company. So that was the kernel, I think, of the idea. And then it just needed shaping. And we, at that point, we weren't yet doing the working backwards process where we write a press release and FAQ before we do every product. But kind of in real time, Jeff and I worked together to kind of do that type of definition process. And it's, once we defined it, I think it's been something that he's now employed for nine or 10 you know, consecutive shadows. Had or, anybody or done that role before you, or were you the first? A couple people had done a role like it before me, which was part of the reason why I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. <laughs> and um, it was really undefined. It was typically, the couple people who did it before me, it was when they first got to the company, and it was a little bit more like a holding pen until we figured out what their full-time role was gonna be. Mm. And they mostly worked on kind of a lot of um, separate non-core initiatives. And I, that's part of why initially and declined because I didn't want to do that. But once we were able to define the role to really be much more like a chief of staff role, that was an unbelievable opportunity that I've, I was lucky to get to do. What do you think Jeff learned about you during that 18 months? Oh, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that, um, I think he realized that I was really passionate about the company and passionate about customers, that uh, I was, you have to be low ego if you're gonna do one of those chief of staff, technical assistant roles, because you own nothing, you're never in the spotlight, your job is to help um, you're the manager you're working for be prepared and be more effective across the organization. You need to do a lot of things behind the scenes to help people be more effective and productive in, his, in their meetings with Jeff and to, and to let Jeff be more productive in, in his meetings with those people. So, um, you know, I think he also probably was able to tell that I'm a, uh, a voracious learner. You know, I, I think that um, my own view is that every time I get a chance to reflect three to six months back and what I've learned the last few months, I'm always blown away by how much I've learned and, and how much more there is to learn. And the world changes so fast in the technology space that the second you think you've learned it all is the second you're unwinding. And so I think that I love having opportunities to jump into things that I haven't done before and try and figure them out and, and, and learn how to be effective as a team member. Right now, Amazon stock has recently topped $1,200 a share. Uh, on paper, Jeff is the richest guy in the world, 100 billion plus. What did you learn about him during that time and has he changed? Well, I would say that um, I learned a lot about Jeff. He's an amazing individual. I mean, he, some of the things you learn are probably straightforward. He's you know, really smart. 
um, unbelievably creative and innovative. Um, he has uh, incredibly high standards. I thought when I started that job that I had high standards, but I realized after doing that job that my standards weren't high enough. He just has incredibly high standards. Um, he also has a way of looking at various situations and the team thinks that they're thinking big and then Jeff will, will ask them to think bigger. And you know, there's a line there, you can ask a team to think bigger and it's so much bigger and so impossible that the team tunes you out because it's just not viable. But Jeff's good at drawing the line and asking for bigger things, but, but things that are still viable. Um, and then, you know, one of the reasons why he's not the same today as he was when I first started working with him you know, in that chief of staff role uh, 16 years ago is that he's an incredible learner himself. I mean, he, he's really, um, he has strong views and he comes in with views, but he's a really good listener to the people in the room and he is able to evolve his opinions. And I think sometimes leaders get this principle of being right a lot wrong, which is that they think that being right a lot means that the idea has to come from you. And you, and you dig in on your idea and you have to win the argument. The job for all of us as leaders is to make the right decisions. And the best way to make the right decisions is to get all the data on the table and hear all the smart people expressing their opinions and put it together and evolve your opinion. And Jeff, really good at that. So toward the end of this role, you came up with the idea that became Amazon Web Services. Did he immediately say yes? Jeff was incredibly enthusiastic about the idea. You know, really? I worked with a team of people to put together what we call it a vision document that we presented to Jeff's senior leadership team, which is called the S team at Amazon. And there was debate in the room, and there was debate because it was so different from our core business, which was our retail business. And there was debate about whether or not maybe we should just build one service and see if anybody used it and then build the rest of the services. And we as a team felt really strongly that we should either build a platform or not build it at all. And uh, there was a lot of debate back and forth in that um, initial ST meeting, but Jeff never flinched. He always believed it was a great idea. Um, he didn't know, like none of us knew, that it would be as successful as it's been and how fast it would be successful, but it made a lot of sense because Amazon, which is a really strong technology company, was experiencing all of the problems that the cloud had a chance to solve. We were, you know, uh, we were spending way too long building the projects we were building because we were reinventing the infrastructure in, in every uh, project in the company, and it was um, costly, and we were sp spending our scarce resource, we were engineers, on the undifferentiated heavy lifting of infrastructure. So we had that problem inside of Amazon, and we're a really strong technology company, so we felt like if we had that problem, there's a pretty good chance that lots of other companies did too. And so Jeff was very supportive, and it's one of the things that I love about working at Amazon, which is that we're not afraid to make significant bets if we see the potential for the business to be big if we're successful. And for some context, Amazon then was not Amazon now. 2002 was around the period of maximum doubt from Wall Street. If the stock is around $1,200 a share now, it was one one-hundredth of that size <laughs> at the time. It had been as high as 80, and now it was down, I think in the teens, for, for much of 2002. Were you guys shaken? But I mean, you, you, you had been richer than you were at that stage as part of a company that had recently gone IPO. There was doubt all around you. Did that influence at all how management looked at this idea? No, well, you know, uh, just timing-wise, I think that the 
you know, the, the time that you were talking about when the stock was trading really low was um, kind of towards the end of 2001. Mm -hmm. And then we, um, we had put a stake in the ground that we would be pro forma profitable in that fourth quarter of 2001. And uh, in January, we announced our results where we were. And, you know, the company actually in 2002 and 2003, when I was doing this job of working for Jeff as his chief of staff, um, we, uh, we were growing really nicely and we were actually adding lots of people. And because we were adding so many people, that was part of what gave us the idea for AWS. Um, we had heard for a long time from internal folks that if I just had more people on my team, I could deliver these projects much faster. And what was happening in 2002 and three was that we were adding lots of people to these teams and they were taking the exact same amount of time to get the projects <laughs> done. And this was driving all of us crazy. And so when I talked to product development leaders during that time I was shadowing Jeff, they said, look, I know you guys think that these initiatives should take two to three months end to end, but we're spending two to three months just on the storage solution or just on the database piece or just on the hosting piece. Nothing we're building scales beyond our own projects and everybody around us is doing the same thing. And so the fact that we were starting to grow and it was still taking us the same amount of time to build software products was part of what made us think that we had to find a way to make it go faster. And we started thinking about the concept of AWS and the cloud, and the, the way I like to explain the cloud to people who aren't paying any attention to this sort of thing is that it's kind of like, instead of everybody having a generator in their home, inventing a power company and power lines that can provide electricity as a service instead of something that you have to spend the capital in order to have it in each individual place. Um, what you're announcing here at reInvent this year is taking you into some new areas, I mean, further into uh, some augmented reality and, and machine learning than the cloud has been in the past. Talk about where you are at this stage of development of the platform. Well, we have a really robust, fully featured technology infrastructure platform. We have over 100 services and we have a lot more capability than anybody else. And uh, if you look at it, it's really diverse. And it, you know, it ranges from compute and storage and database and content distribution and analytics and machine learning and uh, enterprise solutions further up the stack and hybrid capabilities. So it's a very diverse set of capabilities. But there are some trends that we see um, that have led us to invest very significantly in certain areas, some of which you're going to see. I and mean, we, have, we have a lot of announcements this week. <laughs> But I'll talk about a couple. You know, I think that if you look today, people are very excited about machine learning. You know, the promise of being able to look at your data and understand predictions about your data so you can provide a better customer experience for your customers is very appealing. For example, <coughs> how's a customer going to use that? Well, I mean, just imagine, I mean, look at what Amazon's done over the last 20 years. Look at how we've used machine learning. If you look at any of the recommendations on our retail site, customers who bought this book also bought uh, like these books. That's all driven by machine learning algorithms. Or if you were in our fulfillment centers, all of the pick paths are optimized by deep learning algorithms. Or if you think so about- So people who, do, who aren't familiar with that might not know, it's not like you keep all of the items in, in rows like in the grocery store near each other. You intentionally have them kind of randomly spread throughout the warehouse and, and these robots will go and pick them out based on items that people tend to order together, right? Right, and, and optimization paths on the fastest way to actually pick the types of items you typically see in a single box. Um, or, you know, if look at Alexa. 
which um, uses natural language understanding and automatic speech recognition to allow you to ask Alexa, you know, who won the um, uh, the New York Giants game this this past Thursday, which is never the Giants these days, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, so you know, we we use a lot of those machine learning capabilities today. But I would say that to really for companies to use machine learning today, uh, you you need expert machine learning practitioners. We have thousands of those at Amazon, but most companies don't have machine learning expert practitioners because not that many of them exist. The tools are still much harder for everyday developers to use. And if you really want machine learning to live up to the promise that we all believe it has, you have to make it much easier for everyday developers and scientists to interact with. And that's what you'll see in some of our announcements um, this week. You know, we have, um, you know, if you look at how you have to go about trying to build a machine learning model, there's a lot of work. You have to take all your data and put it in, in one uh, place, a data lake, and then you have to figure out how to visualize and explore your data so you know what you want to run an algorithm on. Then you have to pick the algorithm and the framework, and then you have to train that algorithm, and then you have to tune all the parameters, and then figure out how to get into a production app. It's a lot of work, and the tools are not easy. And so we're launching something called Amazon SageMaker, which allows you to build machine learning models in a much, much easier way so that everyday developers will be able to build these models. And so it, it makes it easy to store all your data in our data lake. Uh, you have a one-click ability to get a managed notebook so you can visualize your data. We have all kinds of pre-built algorithms or you can import anything you want. There's one, you know, effectively one-click training. You have a way of optimizing and tuning all your parameters in a much easier way and then to get it into production in a highly available way. We make it much, much easier. It's a total game changer and playing field leveler for everyday developers to build machine learning models. You're also coming out with something called Deep Lens. Um, is, is this an actual product or is it kind of like a science project to help people, help developers get better at, at building this smart software? Well, SageMaker is going to make it much easier for developers to build models, but still, the reality is that you learn so much better if you actually have an actual application where you can try it. And so, what DeepLens is, is it, it's, a, it's, a, it's the first high-definition camera to help developers learn how to do deep learning and machine learning. So it's a high definition camera with compute on board that's optimized for deep learning. And then it has a bunch of pre-built um, computer vision algorithms that uh, developers can just use on the camera to run different scenarios. You could imagine setting it up so that you close your, you open your garage door anytime you see a license plate that you've trained the model to recognize. Hmm. Or you can imagine uh, it's sending a text anytime your dog gets on the couch. And so it has a bunch of these algorithms, um, computer vision algorithms built into the camera. Or you can build your own in SageMaker and import it over the air to the camera. It has a bunch of tutorials built in so you can actually learn how to use computer vision models. And it's really designed to allow developers, everyday developers, to get experience uh, doing machine learning and deep learning. Oracle says, they're doing some of this stuff too. They've got the first database that maintains itself, uh, artificial intelligence in databases. You tend to have a, a thing or two to say about Oracle during reInvent. Are they catching up to you? Well, I, I think they're a long way away in, in the cloud. And uh, you know, I think that if you look at the array of services um, uh, that the companies, the respective companies have, there's really 
not much of a comparison. AWS has a lot more functionality by a large amount. We have a much larger partner ecosystem of systems integrators who build practices on top of AWS, and also ISVs and SaaS providers. You know, most companies want to use the same software they're used to using on-premises, but just run it on the technology infrastructure of AWS in the cloud. And most will adapt their software for one technology infrastructure platform. Some will do it for two, very few for three. Hmm. They all start with AWS because we're the significant market segment leader. Um, you know, there's not much of an ecosystem that you'll find um, uh, at Oracle. And then, you know, there's, we have an expression that we use internally, which is that there's no compression algorithm for experience. You just can't learn certain lessons until you get to different elbows of the curve and scale. And with a business that most estimate is, is several times the size of the next nine providers combined, we've learned certain lessons that you just can't learn until you get to that level of scale. So they're pretty radically different platforms at this stage. A couple of years ago, I think you said you expected there to be kind of three or so leaders in the cloud, you guys first, and then Microsoft and Google. Is that, are those still the three that, that you would name? I, you know, it's, it's unclear to me how it'll turn out. I mean, one thing- I mean, Microsoft is definitely in there, but Google? I think that, um, you know, there's a number of companies that I think are, are trying to build a presence here, and um, you know, I know IBM is working hard at it, and um, uh, you know, I know Oracle's trying to work at it. Um, so it's hard for me to tell who will end up being the successful ones at this point. I think there will be uh, more than one, because if you look at the market segments that AWS touches, infrastructure, software, hardware, and data center services, globally, that's trillions of dollars. So there will not only be one successful player, but I don't think there's going to be six to 10. I mean, this is a, a, a game of scale where um, uh, you need a large amount of capital to be involved, and then you need a very large number of services and a large number of features within those services for customers to choose to use you. Because at the end of the day, since you don't actually have to pay for any of these services up front, Developers and builders want the platform that has the most functionality, and so they're not going to settle for something that has only a small part of it. There's an idea that you've been talking about for a while, Amazon's been pushing, called serverless, mm -hmm. which, I mean, it's not actually serverless, but you know, it, it, it's more efficient than the, the earlier incarnations of cloud. Um, Michael Dell, I was talking to him a, a couple months ago, and he was saying that if you know exactly the size of the workload that you need and it's pretty standard, repeatable, he can always give you a better deal by just selling you the equipment and you run the workload yourself. Do you agree with that? Does serverless change the game going up against the likes of a Dell who's trying to actually put the equipment on premise for customers now and they only pay for what they use? Yeah, I think that, um, I don't agree with it. Um, uh, I, I think that when you look at the, um, you got to look at a few, you got to look at the reasons why people are move, really moving to the cloud. One of them is cost. And the cost isn't just the cost of the hardware. The cost is you have to lay out all this capital up front for data centers and then uh, for all the networking gear within those data centers. Uh, and then all the servers. And the reality is that any business, unless it's completely static, um, and by the way, if your business is completely static for a long period of time, your future doesn't look so good. Um, uh, any business, unless they're completely static, has indecision and changes in terms of their needs. And so if you don't have to lay out that capital up front, and instead 
only um, get to only have to spend it as you consume it. So you change capital expense to a, to a operating expense. That's a huge advantage. And then the reality is, because we have such large scale at this point that we pass on to customers in the form of lower prices, we are able to lower people's uh, variable costs. You know, so they, they go from capex to variable expense, lower variable expense in the cloud. And then there's this elasticity point where you don't have to guess ahead of time how much capacity you need. If you look at next year's budget, how do you know how much capacity you're going to need? How do you know how much your, your business is going to grow or shrink for that matter? Hmm. And if you can have the elasticity that if it turns out that your business is not growing as much, not to sit on that wasted capital, or if it turns out that the business does grow a lot, being able to just seamlessly scale up, that gives you a lot of financial flexibility. But the number one reason that people are moving to the cloud, cost is always the conversation starter. You can save money in the cloud, but it's the agility and speed with which you're able to move. Yeah. And it's not just being able to get a server in minutes in the cloud versus the 10 to 18 weeks it typically takes on premises, but because we have 100 services at your disposal, it means when you have an idea that you want to build, you don't have to go build all that underlying software. You don't have to build the compute so software. You don't have to build the database. You don't have to build the storage solution. You don't have to build the content distribution. All that is there, and then by the way, we're launching on average about 1,300 new features and services a year at this point. That means every day, yeah. if you use AWS, you wake up with three and a half new capabilities you can choose to use or not. So that gives you a lot more capability than you're ever going to have on-prem, where the cost is going to be higher and, um, you know, and you're stuck with whatever the services are your IT group has. How much of that is the conversation with, say, Disney, one of the big uh, customer wins that you're announcing here. Expedia, the NFL, are, are, are some of the others. But Disney in particular is getting ready to launch this Netflix-like service. They're probably aware of the fact that Netflix was your first big customer. Um, and they're going to need to be agile, they're going to need to be flexible in figuring out how people want to use that, where the resources are going to come from. How much of that is why a customer like that is interested in moving, you think, to AWS? I think it's a big reason. I mean, I think that not only does Disney know that they're going to save money, but the ability to innovate at the pace that they want to innovate is a big factor. And you know, it, 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 just in the media space, if you look at all the innovation happening there and the number of companies that are participating there, if you don't have the ability to think of new ideas and then to be able to act on them really quickly, you, you're not going to be able to compete favorably. So to me, I think it's a combination of the cost, the agility, the access to all the functionality that's there, and, the, and also they get to take the scarce resource, which at most companies are your engineers, and instead of having them work on the infrastructure, which really doesn't differentiate your product hardly ever, they get to spend all that scarce resource on new products for their, uh, and customer experiences for their customers. If you got Netflix, many others, Disney, do you have a dog in this net neutrality fight? We, we care a lot about uh, our customers being able to have the same access to last mile connect connectivity um, everywhere in the world. And, and so um, we believe in net neutrality. We are working behind the scenes with a number of companies who are also passionate about it. So we care about it. Um, working behind the scenes in a political way or what can you do? I, you know, just um, trying to talk to people about it. You know, I think that um, uh, the, the upcoming regulation um, and some of the proposals we hear about, trying to be a part of that conversation, trying to be a part of educating, 
trying to make sure people know the impact it could have if, if somehow net neutrality is compromised in some fashion. Mm. I, I think I saw Experian among the customers that you're going to be talking about here. Um, and uh, there are some other kind of credit related customers. How much did the conversation around security change after the Equifax breach? You know, I would say that I haven't noticed the nature of the conversation about security in the cloud change um, post the Equifax breach. And I think that in the first several years of AWS, security was for sure the number one blocker in customer adoption. And people were nervous about outsourcing their infrastructure. And sometimes, you know, you'd ask what they were nervous about and they, they weren't always able to articulate what it was, but it just, it was a different model. And mm -hmm. I think that over the last number of years, one of the biggest changes in the cloud and in AWS is that security has become a selling point versus a blocker. I think most people, when they study um, the capabilities that AWS has in the security space, feel like their security posture improves in the cloud versus on-premises. Can you explain what happened with Uber uh, earlier in the year? Because it looked like some uh, Uber engineers had their AWS credentials perhaps uh, scraped off of GitHub and hackers were able to access information about Uber. Is that something that your team could do anything about? Um, you know, through two-factor authentication or some, you know, higher protocols, or is that something where, hey, if you're just going to leave your keys out in the park, good luck? Yeah, I, I'm not deeply familiar with the details of, of the Uber situation, but in general, the way that AWS builds its services is that we provide security by default, but we give our customers the ability to adjust those parameters, and so they do have the option to take away um, some of the blocked access if they believe their application or their internal needs require it. And then they just have to make sure that if they remove some of those security um, uh, settings that they lock them back down. And so, you know, when you talk about two, you know, multi-factor authentication, that's a, a capability that we've provided in AWS for about eight or nine years. It's optional, you know, companies get to choose themselves in that case whether they want to make sure that every access to different applications or web pages requires multi-factor authentication. But a lot of the services by default are locked down. Um, some of them are optional and companies get to decide for themselves what they want their security posture to be. We are constantly working with our customers to help um, to not only help educate them on what we think are best practices as it relates to security and operational performance, but also to hear feedback in ways that we can make it even easier for them to be more secure. Big picture. Do you want Amazon and AWS to be the biggest enterprise company in the world? Do you think that that's possible? I do think it's possible. Uh, you know, it's not really a goal that I have uh, um, or the team has for itself. We don't ever really talk about it that way. But you know, we we're, our mission is to enable any developer or any company to be able to build all their technology applications on top of our technology app, uh, uh, our infrastructure technology platform, and uh, we have. You know, we always remind ourselves the business is an $18 billion revenue run rate business in the last financials we reported, growing 42% year over year. And yet we're just at the early stages of the meat of enterprise and public sector adoption in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Outside the U.S., they're about 12 to 36 months behind, depending on the country and the industry. So it, it has the chance, I think, to be 
a really large business. And I think that if we were able to accomplish um, you know, the right type of customer experience and continue to build what customers ask us over time, as the market moves more and more toward cloud, I think we have the chance to be the largest enterprise company in the world. But what we're mostly after is building the right long-term relationships with customers that last all of us. And if it leads to us being the biggest enterprise company in the world, great, and if not, that's also okay. A lot of people might not know, you actually have productivity software internally at Amazon, you know, stuff that competes with Word, Excel, et cetera. Um, you haven't been as out front about that as you might be. Is that an area where you're going to invest, where you think you have an opportunity to expand the profitability of the division? I think that we believe that we have an opportunity to build more things a little bit further up the stack. And what drives us to decide which things to build there is really customers. And so we have, uh, at this point, what we hear from customers is a, a fewfold. We hear, hey, we'd like help on the productivity side. There's a set of tools that exist today. They've been the same set of tools largely for the last 10 to 15, 20 years. Um, we believe that there are other ways to be more productive. And so you'll see, uh, you know, we launched something called Chime, which is uh, uh, unified com communication and collaboration. Um, you'll see other efforts from us there that are, um, uh, you know, attempts to make it easier for people to do their business at work every day in, in a world that's changing with regard to the technology and how people work. You also see people say, gosh, it would be really great if you would take all that customer service software that you've built over the last 20 plus years and made it available for us. Mm. And that's what we did with Amazon Connect, which we launched earlier this year, which is off to an incredible start, which is really a, kind of a call routing service. And customers would like us to find ways to take the technology that we've built at Amazon to operate our business and open that up for them to use. And then, you know, as I said, there are certain areas where I think they're hoping there's going to be more invention, productivity being one of them, where we'll also participate over time. And you're saying they're not going to be disappointed? I hope not. <laughs> are you going to do more M&A? Buy more smaller companies or even bigger companies? Uh, yes, I think we will. Uh, you know, we have done, we, you know, we probably bought about um, probably eight or nine companies over the last few years. Most of them Which have is been, not a lot. A lot of your competitors are buying that many it's not a lot. in six months. It's, uh, um, uh, you know, most of them have been relatively small acquisitions. They've been great teams and, and great technology. Um, we'd like to do more. Uh, I think there's two things that um, sometimes give us pause. One is um, we tend to be a little bit rigor more rigorous maybe than others choose to be in our analysis of valuations, and sometimes the valuations that are out there just haven't matched what we can kind of get our heads around. Your own stock has a pretty nice valuation on it, though. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not passing judgment, John. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sometimes we just can't get our head around some of those valuations. I think the other thing for us, too, is that we have a, a history um, and, and confidence in being able to build ourselves. And so at a certain point, if we know customers really want something and we're looking at something that we believe can accelerate our efforts in that area, but we just can't get our heads around the valuation or, the, or it's not the right fit, then we're also not afraid to go um, hire people and build it. Hmm. A lot of your competitors, Microsoft comes to mind, um, and there are others, are pushing on this idea of hybrid cloud, private cloud, et cetera. Is that an area where uh, you're going to position yourself differently or do you feel like you're in the right spot uh, where that goes? I, I, I really like um, the, 
infrastructure technology platform that we've built and the capabilities it possesses. And I, and I think it, you know, I think customers do as well. It's kind of borne out in what's happening in the numbers of the business and the market segment share. I, you know, my own opinion is that um, I think enterprises for the next number of years, many of them will run in hybrid mode um, where they have data centers, they're not yet ready to retire um, and they want to be able to operate those seamlessly with AWS and the cloud. But I for sure believe that we're in a transition. I don't know how long that trans transition will take, whether Some it's, of it has to do with regulations, government. Know, yeah, but even the regulations have really come around. There's, there's not much regulation anywhere that, that doesn't allow you to run in the cloud now. So I think, you know, whether that transition takes five years or 10 years, I think that the vast majority of that computing is moving to the cloud. So if you go out with that in mind and build your own private cloud, I think it's kind of nutty. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really expensive. It doesn't have any of the benefits of why people are moving to the cloud. You have to spend all that capital expense so you don't turn CapEx to variable expense. It's expensive, you don't get elasticity, you don't move as fast, you don't have the same amount of services and capabilities, and you have to take your scarce resource who are engineers who manage it. So I think it's a little nutty to go out and build private clouds given what's happening. So I think people will saying, run hybrid though for a while. Are you saying, not to put words in your mouth, but it's going to kind of sound like it, correct me where I'm wrong, that in 10 years from now, having your own data center is going to be like mainframes? Like, yeah, sure, they're still around, but... I don't I mean, know if it's 10 years, it could be 10 years, it could be sooner, or it could be a little bit later, but I think 10 years is a reasonable estimate, yes. I think in 10 years, having your own data centers is going to be a little bit like having mainframes still. Huh, so some specialized industries will still do They'll it, but be, overall... There, there will always be some companies that do everything. You know, it's kind of amazing how many mainframes are still there. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I think that, um, relatively few companies in the fullness of time will own their own data centers, and those that do will have much smaller footprints, and they'll be for workloads that they just can't, for whatever reason, get their heads around um, uh, moving, or there'll be things like mainframes, where it's just not worth the effort to re-architect it to work in the cloud, and they'll just keep it there and, 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 uh, until it dies. You guys are growing pretty fast, and you're looking for a new headquarters location. Are you going to split your team or is cloud going to mostly live in one headquarters or the other? Yeah, we won't unnaturally split our team, but the way that we operate in AWS, and it's true in a lot of organizations inside of Amazon, is that we have a large number of separable autonomous teams that have a single threaded focus on a particular mission. So for instance, there's a team that does nothing but build and operate S3 or EC2 or um, Aurora, et cetera. And so what we might do, what I could see us doing with AWS, is we would take certain new missions that are separable and having those live in another location. We do that today. We have, you know, the original team that built EC2, which is our compute service, was a dozen people in Cape Town. <laughs> you know, and so we have teams today in South Africa and Ireland and Virginia and Boston and Vancouver, and really kind of all over the world. And so I think we'll, we'll think of the resources we put in the second headquarters much the same way. They'll have a separable mission that they'll work on. There's a lot of research in an ecosystem around cloud in the Seattle area, in large part because of what you've built. Um, there's also a lot of deep learning and AI resource in New York, which I think is part of the reason why Facebook um, did some, some growing out there. Does New York have a shot? I think, I mean, we had proposals, I think we had 200, 200 plus yes. uh, proposals. But you're from New York. Well, 
Now, that decision is not mine. <laughs> and so there's a group of people that are working really hard um, to narrow that first list of, of proposals down to a second round. And, you know, I, I think virtually every major city in the country made what I understand to be, um, you know, an earnest and interesting proposal, but I haven't seen any of them yet, so I don't know. Who are you hiring that's different now from who you were hiring 15 years ago? Not quite 15 when you launched. Um, you know, many of them are the same, but it's, uh, you know, we're hiring a lot of data scientists and a lot of machine learning um, uh, um, experts and practitioners. Um, we are hiring a lot of people who have experience with um, connected devices um, and IoT, which is a big area of investment for us in AWS. We hire um, a lot more database people. You know, in the early days of Amazon, we hired mostly DBAs, you know, to kind of administer Database the databases. Right. But because yeah. we're building so many original databases today, we're hiring a lot of database people. Um, we have, uh, um, you know, we're hiring, we're hiring people to think about, you know, f uh, far field things like uh, quantum computing. And so uh, all kinds of disciplines within machine learning, computer vision. So it's, uh, we, we, it's a, um, uh, I would say that the, um, the number of people we're hiring at the company continues to grow pretty dramatically. But in each phase of the company where there are different new technologies that are really taking hold and where we're really committing and investing in, in those technologies like machine learning, we tend to have, go through phases where we're hiring disproportionately more people in those areas. You still have ugly shirt contests? We do, yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. Um, we <laughs> you're talking about our, our, our Wednesday business review yeah. where uh, people wear, try to compete on the ugliest possible shirt um, uh, and the winner gets the weekly um, trophy of Ugly Shirt Award. We also have, you'll see it here too, uh, um, we have a buffalo wing eating club called Tatanka. I was going to go there next. You know, yeah. we have, uh, um, this will be I think the fourth year here at reInvent that we have our annual Tatanka buffalo wing eating competition. This year it has expanded to two simultaneous venues that you'll be able to live stream and see the, uh, the competition and then the the winners in each of those venues will compete in the final round for the, the uh, distinguished prize of being the Tatanka reInvent eating champion. Are you doing in parallel the celery eating competition <laughs> for the vegetarians also? I or? don't know if we're doing celery eating uh, here at, at reInvent, but in our, uh, you know, in our buffalo wing eating contest back in, uh, or, um, uh, our group back in Seattle, there is a membership you can achieve called Veggie where you have to eat, to become a veggie member, you have to eat 100 celery sticks and then 25 more celery sticks wrapped in the wing paste, you know, that, that sauce that congeals at room temperature. <laughs> it's not easy. I've done it before. It's not easy. Do you actually buy these shirts or is there some like, <laughs> goodwill rotation? I mean, I can't imagine. That's every week. That's a, that's a lot of ugly shirts. It, there are a lot of ugly shirts, and uh, I think that what happens, some people naturally have them in their wardrobe. I'm very lucky that way. <laughs> um, but others, I think when they travel, 
oftentimes I hear stories that they're in the airports with a little bit of extra time and they walk through some of the stores and they try and, and find a shirt that could possibly earn them a week or two of championship status. Yeah, I'm sure there are spouses, husbands and wives who are smacking <laughs> their heads over what you have inspired uh, in the closets. Yeah. Is it true you have a photographic memory? I don't think I have a photographic memory, but I have a pretty good memory. Hmm. How does that factor into the way you lead a business? You know, it's funny. Uh, I think it actually is incredibly helpful. You know, uh, when I was a kid, I remember a lot of people telling me that it was a bad idea to memorize the, you know, the material for tests. Uh, and I don't know, it, it seemed to help with tests. <laughs> but, but um, you know, people had the understandable concern that you wouldn't learn the material, you'd just memorize the material. And, you know, as I went through life, uh, that was absolutely true. You had to really learn the material. But I think when you have a lot of balls in the air at once, like we do in AWS and at Amazon, where we have, you know, we're going to announce 70 new features and services just at reInvent, you know, 1,300 for the year, and we have, you know, 100 services with separable teams. A thousand there's, sessions going on here this a lot, week, right? You know, there's a lot going on um, in the business, and it's really helpful if you, you know, when you have a lot of simultaneous things happening, if you have a good memory, because you can kind of remember what are the important things that you have to do. And to me, the combination of, of having um, a decent memory and then a mechanism, which for me is um, my calendar every day, where every day the first thing I do in the morning is I, I sit down and write out the priorities for the day. And I look at what I didn't get done yesterday, and I, I will transfer those, but I'll, I'll reprioritize. The combination of having something that forces you to reprioritize what matters most every day, plus a decent memory so you can remember a lot of the things that are happening simultaneously has been helpful. Well, thank you for remembering to uh, take some time out and sit down with me for CNBC and Fort Knox. My pleasure, and I appreciate your coming out here again. It's always great to see you, John. My thanks to Andy Jassy. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Please do leave a review if you enjoyed this. Also, Subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X dot com slash YouTube. Follow me, John Fort, on Facebook and Twitter. There you'll see video from some of these interviews. And you can also say hi to me live, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Just go to YouTube and search for Fort Knox or go to Facebook or Twitter or Periscope and search for John Fort and you'll know what to do from there. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.